Getting yourself settled, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11, the Gospel of John in chapter 11. And we get back into our series through the Gospel of John. And we have been in chapter 11 for a couple of weeks, and we may, Lord willing, still be here uh, for a couple of more. John chapter 11 primarily deals with the miracle that Jesus performed of raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, you know the story, and for the sake of time, will not read the entire chapter, or at least the part all dealing with raising Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to direct your attention uh, primarily to verses 18 through 27, and we'll read that in just a second. Uh, what we know of the Gospel of John is that uh, the Gospel of John was written primarily for the purpose of of showing the deity of Jesus Christ. And, and John is filled with many vivid portraits of the Lord, um, all of them showing some aspect uh, of His greatness and His glory. In John chapter 11, though, this may be, may be the, one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever performed here, though, uh, to, especially to show not only His deity... Uh, but also the fact that He is the giver of life, not just physical life, but spiritual life. And if you were to not have any other record of, of miracles that Jesus performed except for this one, uh, you would have enough, certainly in your possession, to conclude that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. And I want us to look in this passage again Regarding the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, I'm going to speak to you primarily on the subject of salvation. It's primarily a salvation message this morning. But focusing in on Jesus' words that we find in our passage. Verse 18, we'll start there. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and to Mary to comfort them concerning their brother then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, under her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come. And calleth for thee. Now we could preach this passage and really the whole passage of John 11 in many different ways, and Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks, we'll bring out some different aspects uh, that we find in this passage that it'll be good for you and for me. Uh, we could preach it in many different ways, but I want to direct your attention primarily to what Jesus says in verse 25, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And Jesus' words tell us really what the 
focus of all of this is, is that it's Christ, that He is the giver of life, not just physical life, but spiritual life. And that's the direction we're going to go this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that You'd help me today to preach Your Word, and Father, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, to point to the Scriptures, and Father, I pray that Your Word will accomplish the purpose that You intend this morning. And would you pray for the one that is, or two, or however many, Lord, that may be here today who've never been truly saved. Lord, I pray that you'd work in their heart and their life today uh, to draw them unto yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What I want to uh, draw your attention to, first of all, is verse 21. And I want you to notice the problem that had these people so defeated and sorrowful. Verse 21 says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Here is the problem that had these people defeated. Lazarus was dead. Lazarus was dead, and because of the death, grief had invaded this once happy home. This this home, this family of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were friends to Jesus Uh, uh, Jesus was a close companion of theirs, and vice versa. The Bible tells us uh, that Jesus loved them, and Jesus loved Lazarus. And here, uh, this happy home, this once happy home, had been broken. Uh, Grief had invaded because of death. Lazarus was dead. The one that they had loved so dearly was snatched away from them, from their presence. They were devastated by the fact that death had come. And you know what? We think about death, and we realize, all of us would realize, that death is ugly. Death is ugly. It invades homes. It brings division. It brings discouragement, defeat. A lot of times, disillusionment because of a hopelessness and a despair. When somebody dies, we feel it deeply. And many times, we're torn apart. Death is ugly. In the Jewish culture, when one died, to magnify the sorrow of it, they would hire people who were wailers and mourners. And often there would be a procession of people who simply would, that was their job, to just wail and mourn over the loss of the one that was loved so much. Can you imagine the scene, the sound? Can you imagine what funerals would be like today? For us, if we had the same kind of culture, the wailing and the mourning, we feel that inside. And oftentimes it's, it's accompanied by many tears. In verse 33, the Bible, tells us, the Bible tells us, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Death had come, and it had torn them apart, and it brought with it tears. Death is always ugly. There's a strange custom in the Fijian Islands that's called the calling of the dead, or the calling to the dead. And when one has died, the one that is suffering bereavement would climb to a high hill or 
up into a high tree or a cliff or, or some, some high place. And what they would do is they would mention the name of the one who was, who was dead and they would start to cry pathetically, uh, come back, come back, with wailing and mourning. And the, it was, it, it's a heart-rending wail that is filled with despair. But you know what? Never, ever one time has the one who has died ever come back. And so all they get is the echo of the sound of their voice wailing, come back, come back. It underscores the sadness and the frustration that comes along with death. And those who've experienced, those who've who've experienced it, those who've lost a companion or a dear friend or a beloved child, we can, we can well understand the feelings that, that Mary and Martha and others would have been feeling in this moment. The problem that had them so defeated was death. And you can imagine the tears streaming down the faces and the pitiful wailing and crying of the day. Death is ugly because of the sorrow that it causes. But death is also ugly because it's a result of sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 and verse 12, wherefore is by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Death came because of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It's ugly because of the sorrow that it causes. It's ugly because it's a result of sin. But here's a truth that we need to focus in on this morning. Not only is death ugly, but death is universal. Death is universal. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto men once to die. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 19, because of Adam's sin, God said, you came from dust and unto dust you're going to return. And from the sweat of your brow you're going to work until you go back to the dust. That same verse, Romans 5.12, that talks about uh, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. The second part of that verse says, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. All of these verses speak of the reality of death. And friend, one day, whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, we're all going to die. Look in Psalm 89. We read this verse this morning in our scripture reading before the Sunday school hour. Psalm 89. The Bible says in Psalm 89 and verse 48, What man is he? that liveth and shall not see death? Question mark. Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Question mark. It's, a, it's almost a rhetorical question. What man is he that lives that's not going to die? Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It's right after Proverbs. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And notice verse 8, the Bible says, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. 
and there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. He said there isn't a person who has power to, to hold on to the Spirit in the day of death. And you're, 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 you are a, a three-part being. You're a body, soul, and a spirit. Your body is your house. Your spirit is, is the real you. It's your, your personality. It's your, your conscience. It's, your, uh, it's who you really are. You are not this body that, that we all see. The real you is on the inside. Your spirit, your spirit is eternal. Or your soul, rather, excuse me. Your soul is eternal. Your spirit is your God conscious. So you're a body, a soul, and a spirit. Your body is just the house. The soul and the spirit are eternal. When you die, the soul leaves the house. He says, who is it? that has power to retain the spirit in the day of death? Who is it that can, can say, uh, when, the, when the time comes, no, not today, I'm not going to die. Nobody has power to do that. And the reality is, friend, whether you're 75, whether you're 15, whether you're 5, the day of death is coming, and nobody knows when. Nobody knows when. Whether we believe it or not, we're all going to die. And the Bible tells us nobody has power in the day of death. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. If you're younger, probably not. <laughs> but those who are getting older have certainly noticed it, that death is getting steadily closer to you every minute of every day. We start to feel it in the hurts, in the moans, and the groans, and the pains. We start to see it in others, and their mental capacity that is waning. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. It's true, isn't it? It's true. One day your time is going to run out. My time's going to run out. I've used this illustration before, but somebody has mathematically calculated a schedule that compares the average lifetime with a single day. And that day starts at 7 o'clock in the morning. And on that mathematical calculation... It says that if you're 15 years old, the time of day for you is 1025 in the morning. If you're 25 years old, the time of day for you is 1242 in the afternoon. If you're 35 years old, it's 3 o'clock. If you're 45 years old, it's twilight. It's 516 at night. If you're 55 years old, the time for you is 7.35. If you're 65 years old, the time for you is 9.55. But if you're 70 years old, the time for you is 11 o'clock. The day is done at 12. In the last hour of your life, as it were. But I want you to notice this thought. It doesn't really matter what time of day it is for you, it's always later than we think. 
can tell you stories of young people, so young, who've gone out into eternity in the blink of an eye. I remember, remember a time when I was younger, someone my age, probably about 16 years old, I knew the person, wasn't a real friend of mine per se, but I knew the person. But I heard the story of this young man who lived out in the country. And at nighttime, it would get pretty dark out in the country. No city lights, no traffic lights, things like that. And often out in the farm fields of North Dakota, Minnesota, uh, there are train tracks that go across the road. And sometimes in those country roads, there's no warning signs that a train is coming. It's a country road. There's no flashing lights. There's no barriers that come down. There's nothing. And this has happened to me on a number of occasions, driving down a country road like that. Well, you can see headlights coming towards you. And there was one night when I was driving down one of these roads and all I saw was flashing lights like this. And I could tell they were headlights, but they were flashing. And I didn't realize it until I got closer and closer that the reason those headlights were flashing was because there was a train that was going by and the gaps in between all of the cars let the light through and then it would disappear. Let the light through, then it would disappear. And you're driving 65, 70 miles an hour down a country road. No idea that there's a train that's going down the road. The only reason I knew was because of those headlights that were flashing that made me stop. Well, it wasn't too much after that that I had heard of a young man that I knew on that very same country road driving down at night. Slammed head on into train cars that were passing by. And he went out into eternity, 16 years old. He didn't expect it. He didn't see that coming. And I think that's a reality because death is often unexpected. Not only is it ugly, not only is it universal, but it's often unexpected. Martha and Mary in our text back in John what did they say to the Lord? What did they say to Jesus? Both of them, if you read through the passage, said, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother had not died. What were they expecting? They probably were expecting that Lazarus would recover from his sickness and that everything would be fine and normal. But death had other ideas. <coughs> There's a story that is told regarding the unexpected nature of death. And even though men know that death is coming, it still seems to take them by surprise. There's an old fable of a man who made an unusual agreement with death, and he told the grim reaper that, that he would willingly accompany him when it came time to die, but only on one condition, that death would send a messenger well in advance to warn him so that he could prepare. The agreement was made. We'll do that. Weeks 
winged away into months and months into years. And then one bitter winter evening, as the man sat alone thinking about all of his material possessions, death suddenly entered the room and tapped him on the shoulder. (coughs) The man was startled, and he cried out in despair, You're here so soon, and without warning. I thought we had an agreement. Death replied, I've more than kept my part. I've sent you many messengers. Look at yourself in the mirror, and you'll see some of them. As the man complied, death whispered, Notice your hair. Once it was full and black. Now it's thin and white. Look at the way you cock your head to listen to my voice, because you can't hear very well. Observe how close you must get to the mirror in order to see yourself clearly. Yes, I've sent you many messengers through the years. I've kept my part. It's too bad you didn't keep yours. I'm sorry you're not ready for me, but the time for you has come. You say, why do we talk about stuff like that? Why do we give those kinds of illustrations? Well, it's, it's for this primary reason. It's for this reason. We should not be in a situation, friend, where we let death catch us unprepared. There's no excuse for not being ready. In fact, Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1 warns us. It says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. Even if you're 15 years old or 20 years old, there's no guarantee of tomorrow. James 4, 14 says, what is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. Go to Luke chapter 12 (coughs) with me. Luke chapter 12. In Luke 12, we find the story of the rich fool. In Luke 12 and verse 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In Luke chapter 12 here, we find the the rich man who thought that he would be able to continue on living his life. He thought that he would be able to enjoy his life and his riches from all of his hard work. But death came to him and found him unprepared. And I'm saying to you, Fred, don't be the same way. How do you prepare for the day of death, especially if you don't know when it's coming? The way to prepare is to make sure that your soul is right with God. This man said, I'm going to do all of these things. And then God said to him, you're a fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. It means to demand back. 
God says, I'm taking back your soul. The only way to prepare is to make sure that your soul is right with God. To be saved. To be born again. To have your sins forgiven. But you know what? Salvation is, is, is maybe the one area of a person's life where men foolishly delay a decision being made. You know what? You can, you can put off paying your taxes. You could put off changing your oil. You could put off doing all kinds of things that, that people are so diligent about. And yet too often men will put off the salvation of their soul. And they will gamble with the days that they have in their life. Many times it's conviction that comes across their heart and they know it, but they say, not today. Not today. And they gamble. Because you're not guaranteed that tomorrow's coming. <coughs> and all the time, people die. And they go out into a lost eternity apart from God because their soul was not right with God. They were unprepared. But you should not let that happen to you. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you need to understand death is a problem. But death is a result of sin. You're going to die. Is your soul right with God? That's what you need to take from that. Now go back to our text in John chapter 11. I want you to look at verse 25. So we saw the problem that had these people so defeated, but I want you to see the power that Jesus describes in verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. What just happened here? Well, as soon as Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And the Bible says in verse 21 that she said to the Lord, If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou would ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But then Jesus says, hey, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. <coughs> so I want you to notice, excuse me, I'm sorry. I want you to notice the power that Jesus describes here. Jesus claimed to possess power over the grave. He claimed ownership as the resurrection and the life. He said that he possessed this power within himself. He said, I am the resurrection. And I would simply say to you this morning, through all of that, that when you know Jesus Christ, what you actually know is real life. In 1 John 5, in verse 12, you'll have to forgive me, I, I'm still getting over this sickness. 1 John 5, and verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Jesus is saying, I have this power within myself. And the Word of God says, when you know Christ, what you know is real life. You say, well, what right does Jesus have to make that kind of a claim? Well, let's look at what the Bible says about His 
life-giving power. First of all, we know that Jesus raised other people from the dead. (coughs) You remember Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5? For the sake of time, we won't turn there and read it. But you remember the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7? They were having a funeral and a procession, and Jesus stopped the procession, and he raised him from the dead. Jesus proved his power over death and the grave by raising other people from the dead. But I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because we have the promise of the Lord to be raised from the dead as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20, the Bible says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. We have this promise as well. And listen, for me, what that says is is that because I've trusted in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I can go through this life fully confident that I know that whether I die this physical death or whether I'm here till the Lord's return, I know that I'm going to be with the Lord. Confidence. That if, even if I die in this flesh, that one day this body is going to be resurrected from the grave with a new body. And maybe the most telling of all is that Jesus raised himself from the dead. He raised others from the dead. We have the promise that we'll be raised from the dead if we're saved. But Jesus raised himself from the dead. Go to Matthew chapter 28, please. Matthew 28, in verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. We don't have to go into all the details of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But we know that it was horrible. It was a horrible death that he died on the cross of Calvary. And you know, if the story ended there, it would be a terrible tragedy. But thank God, amen, three days later, Jesus came out of the tomb victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He's not here, for he's risen. He raised himself from the dead. And what's the application? What's the point of all of that? The point is that the saints of God can face death with confidence, knowing that one day these bodies are going to live again. 
We already talked about this, but you're a soul and a spirit. That's eternal. If the body dies, the spirit lives on. And I think we don't need to turn over there either, but in Luke chapter 16, you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man fared sumptuously every day. He died. Lazarus was a beggar who had nothing. He died. They both died. Death was universal, but they had very different outcomes, very different endings. The Bible says that the rich man in hell lift up his eyes being in torment, in the flame. Lazarus was comforted in Abraham's bosom. And what I'm saying is that Jesus lifted the veil that separates us from death, and He shows us what happens to the souls of men after we die. Every saint of God goes to be with the Lord, praise the Lord. But those who refuse the Lord Jesus Christ can only look forward to an eternity in torment. The saint of God can live confidently. And I'm saying to you, do you have that confidence? What if you were to die today? Ask yourself the question and ask it with sincerity. If you were to die today, where would you go? Where would you be? Because your soul's going to live on. Maybe we should have taken the time to read Luke chapter 16 because it's very graphic. Very graphic. What happens to the souls of men who are without the Lord? But Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And we see the problem that had these people defeated. We see the power that Jesus described, that He had power over death. But then I want you to notice the promise that Jesus declared. Go back to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, again in verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's the promise. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And verse 26, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Here's the promise that Jesus declares. He, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I have power over death. And if you'll believe in me, you'll never die. You know what? Jesus cures spiritual death. He cures spiritual death for every man. Ephesians 2 talks about how we were dead in trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ has the power to take a life that is destroyed by sin and give it a brand new start. He specializes in giving dead men new life. You remember the video we watched on Wednesday night <coughs> of Noah George? <clears throat> there was a part in that video where Noah was giving his testimony of how he came to know Jesus Christ, and he was an atheist, and he, he set out to basically prove that God doesn't exist. And he came to church, and the Word of God started to grip his heart, and he said he heard a message about judgment. Not so much that, that God was judging now, but that we ought to judge ourselves. And, and Noah came to the conclusion that, that if he died, that he would, he would go straight to hell, and, and, he, and he started to... He started to question things and he started to be concerned about his own soul. And he came back and, and he met with Pastor Humphrey, I believe. 
<coughs> and he thought that he would tell them, do as all the other Christian religions say to do. You know, say some prayers, do some works, do this, do that, and you're going to be saved. But he was so surprised because he didn't tell him any of those things. He said, what would I do to be saved? He said, nothing. You don't do anything. It's only by the grace of God. It's a gift. And then he said, in that video, Jesus Christ didn't come to give works or something like that for men to do. He came to make dead men alive. That's what we are. We're dead in trespasses and sins, but Jesus Christ cures spiritual death. He specializes in giving dead men new life. He's the one who can take away the stain of sin and give anybody a fresh start. Isaiah 1.18 talks about how God says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. The promise that Jesus declared was eternal life. The cure for spiritual death. He conquers death for His children. Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will never die. And according to God's Word, when we come to know Jesus Christ, we pass from death unto life. And we'll live forever. I wish we had the time to look at a lot of passages. We don't. Let's look in 1 John chapter 5, though. 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5 and verse 10. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. The only way that you can have eternal life and never die as in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is the requirement? What is the requirement? Well, Jesus says what the requirement is in our text in John chapter 11. He says, He that believeth in me, he that believeth in me, shall never die. To receive the promise of Christ, to be rescued from spiritual death and the power of the grave, friend, you got to believe on Jesus Christ. And what that means is you need to trust Him and Him alone, and what He has done for your soul. The shedding of His blood for your sin. Salvation's not in coming to church. It's not in good works. It's not in any kind of religion or personal goodness that you might have. It's only by the grace of God. And I'm asking you the question, are you saved? Do you know for sure that you're saved? If you died today, where would you go? Don't be deceived that you might have tomorrow. Don't fool yourself that you've got time. Don't think that there's any other way that things are going to work out. The only way that you can be prepared and have life is through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice one last thing. Go back to John chapter 11. 
in verse 26, I want you to notice the plea that Jesus delivers. He said, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. But the last statement is this, Believest thou this? Do you believe this? He closes his conversation with Martha by asking her about her faith. It doesn't matter what she had heard. It doesn't matter what she had seen before this. What matters in the end is that her faith would be placed in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Why is that so important? Why is it so important to ask about faith? And faith in Jesus Christ in particular. Well, reason one is because this is the only plan that guarantees an entrance into heaven. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other plan. There is no other way. Do you believe this? The second reason is that this is the only plan that is accepted by God. It's the only plan that's accepted by God. People try to come to God all their own ways. But in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's only through the perfect, sinless, shed blood of Jesus Christ that our sins can be washed away. It's the only plan accepted by God. <coughs> and if you don't get anything else from the message this morning, at least understand this. The only chance for your soul to be prepared for the day of death is that your soul is right with God. The only way to be right with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just close it with asking this same question that Jesus asked Martha. Believest thou this? If you really believe, then there's not going to be a hesitation to run to the Savior. How you answer that question, friend, is going to decide your eternity. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to Him today, right now. If you have the least bit of concern about where you're going to spend eternity, Friend, you better think long and hard about what you do with Christ. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. But you do have the promise of the Savior. That if you believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. Your sins can be forgiven. Your soul can be right with God. Are you saved? Do you know it for sure? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you just use a simple message today to cause people to think there's some in this room who've never been born again. They might be religious. They might even have a profession. But in their heart, there's something that is screaming and crying out. There's something that's making them afraid. Something that's causing them to question. Lord, I pray that your spirit would bring great conviction to their heart, that you would draw 
all men to yourself. Lord, may today be the day that they yield their will, they confess their sin, they repent, and put their faith in Christ. In Jesus' name.